Hello, this is Where Did It All Go Right? Welcome to another episode. I'm Ali Jones and this is the podcast where I talk to people in creative jobs about the pivotal moments in their careers. Well, this all started when I realised loads of people I'd worked with or uh, went to uni or just met had gone on to do great things and I thought, how did they do it? And it's kind of grown from that. You know, what I love about podcasts is, well, your audience figures can never go down. They always go up, which is always good. Uh, But also you get loads of great stats. Uh, One of them is where people are listening to you from. So hello, if you're listening in the UK or America or France or in Japan, Egypt, the Philippines, loads more as well. You can see what I've been doing in the last week. Uh, It's lovely to have you on board. So this week's guest is Jo Cottrell, who is a children's and young adults author. Now, you might know some of her books because she has written a lot. Uh, they include A Library of Lemons, A Storm of Strawberries, Jelly, loads more. Well, I met her in her kitchen in Oxford and we talked about those books and more. Jo, thank you so much for letting me break into your house almost, <laughs> into your lovely welcome. kitchen. Uh, and also, I, I said to you before we pressed record that this is probably a time when you're busy writing and I'm interrupting, so I apologise. Would this normally be writing time? Uh, well, it depends. Uh, you know, it's like how long is a piece of string? Sometimes it's writing time if I have something I'm working on, but at the moment I have just handed in a manuscript yesterday. So um, for a short a short book I'm doing for a children's reading scheme. So actually, no, today, today was going to be... What I would have done if you weren't here is um, crashing on the sofa and probably catching up with an old episode of Midsummer Murders. <laughs> because you deserved it. Because I deserve it. Well, you That's have. Right. I mean, you really do deserve it because you... I can't believe how many books you've written. Loads. I mean, we're yeah. in we're in the forties. Forties, aren't yeah. we? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. In fifteen years, but I mean, people do say, "Wow, that's loads of books," and I and I always scrabble to defend that by saying they're not all really long. You know, some of them. That my shortest books have been. 500 words that really does not take long to write but you can add um, back to the tally so it sounds but good yeah <laughs> yeah and then the longest one is about 70,000 so there, there was a time in fact about the last the last four or five years have been very busy there's there have been a lot of books coming out then sort of um at least two a year of about between 30 and 50,000 each so and it does yeah yeah, it has felt a little bit like a treadmill. Um, a good treadmill, mm. you know, because it's a job I love. But um, you deserve a box set of it... Midsummer Night Murders, I think. <laughs> Midsummer Night Murders? Oh, what did I... That would be... <laughs> what? Midsummer... I've never seen it. <laughs> Midsummer Nightmares. There's a... There's That's a an Shakespeare idea. mashup. <laughs> so what I'm really interested in is, because you were really creative as a child. Yes. Did a lot of music. Yes. But the writing came later. Did you, you were more into the music than the stories? Yes. Yes. I was, um, I think I've always been um, a storyteller, but it's not always been through the written word. Um, I, I did write stories as a child. I wrote lots of stories and I tried to keep diaries as a teenager, but I was lacking discipline, you know. Get a shiny diary at the beginning of the year. By January the 14th, I've already, you know, oh, forgotten to write for three days. So oh, it's not going to go well. See, my mum's written a diary since 13, religiously. Really? Yeah, wow. so I've told her I'm going to serialise them when she dies. That amazing. <laughs> I just don't, it's funny, isn't it? I don't, by the time I get to the end of the day, I'm like, oh no, I don't want to have to write down what I did. Um, but uh, yeah, so I mostly was interested. I was very musical, played several instruments, um, and I was um, a lot more interested in art at that age. 
uh, and drama. So I was always very firmly in the arts camp. Um, but but no, as in terms of writing stories, yeah, I, I would sometimes have a great idea and start off and then, you know, just lose interest halfway through, which is what I still do as a professional writer. <laughs> but when you're a professional writer, you can't keep stopping and starting new things. You have to keep finishing the ones that you're working on. So otherwise least, you're not going to get paid. Otherwise you're not going to get paid. Exactly. <laughs> so it's, uh, that's, yeah, that's very important. <laughs> so, so it came later, the writing. And uh, I mean, your CV is ridiculous. Actor teacher yeah. fireworks technician <laughs> there's more i'm sure can we sort of go through the order okay and when the writing came in then yes so um so i went to university and did performing arts spe- uh, specializing in drama but the course also covered music and dance which i really enjoyed oh i, I did a lot of dancing as well i failed to mention that one um <laughs> and uh when I was, um, when I left uni, I worked as an actor and a musician for about five years, lots of touring shows, um, tended to get jobs in either outdoor Shakespeare in the summer, which was lots of fun, although very wet. Mm. And actually, it, it sort of knocked a lot of my um, pretensions out of me, because when you're trying to do um you know midsummer night's dream as opposed to nightmares uh although they did sometimes turn into nightmares (laughs) when you're doing midsummer night's dream and it's so wet that they decide they're going to move your outside venue to the inside one and it's a pony training ring yeah and there's a bloke at the back watching the football on his phone because it's one of the world cup matches you know you kind of go yeah well you just have to sort of suck it up and Shakespeare is not it's not exactly the RSC Uh, that's what I was about to say Yeah. Yeah. yeah so you did that sort of put you off and think maybe I could do something else uh I loved it actually I really loved it um what I found difficult is that acting jobs are very short. You know, you get a job for a few weeks or for a few months and that comes to an end and then you have to start auditioning all over again. Mm. And and, yet, and what I found hardest was having to prove myself over and over again to people I didn't know and who didn't know me. And so I felt there was very little kind of career progression. Um, I felt after three, four, five years that I should be doing slightly better than I was do you know what I mean um and and I decided that I needed something in between the acting jobs to stop me going mad because in between of course you have to do jobs that earn you money that may be like office type jobs yeah um, the classics waitressing isn't it yeah I never did that actually to be fair but I did a lot of junior admin type jobs um and I, I found it so frustrating because I wanted to be being creative and expressive. But mm. when you're an adult, and when you're a child, there are groups to join, mm. there's all these sorts of things. And, and as an adult, it's much harder to find those things. So I started writing stories uh, as a correspondence course, like a proper, like handwriting them and posting them. That's impressive. I know, that's how old I am now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, and what gave you the idea to do that? I think I saw an advert. Okay. You know, one of those fancy writing for children. I was like, why not? So, I've got to do something with my <laughs> I've time. I've got to do, yes. Yeah. So I started doing that and I, I really, really enjoyed it. And of course, a lot of my early stories were um, <laughs> Blighton-esque, let's say. They had children going off on bicycles and... 
dogs and stuff. <laughs> well, that shows, I suppose, that you're influenced by what you read yes, as a child. Yes, And my tutor was really kind and said, look, you know, you really need to read some more recent children's fiction. <laughs> Things have moved on a bit. Things have moved on. Um, so that was really good for me. And I started sending stories out then to publishers and getting very nice rejection letters <laughs> back. Started collecting those. Um, and then there came a point with the acting when I... I became really nervous about going to auditions, which was something that up till then had not faced me at all. Um, And I would get so anxious about going to the audition. And I thought, why am I putting myself through this all the time? The job's terribly badly paid. I don't get most of the ones I go for. And now I'm not even... And I'm stressed. And now I'm really stressed. (laughs) Yes. So I thought, perhaps I don't want to do this anymore, which was quite a big thing for me to to decide because it had I'd decided at 13 that that's what I wanted to do and you've gone done a degree in and it. I'd done a degree in it and I'd been moderately successful in it uh so to sort of go actually I don't think I want to keep putting myself through this was quite a sort of mm. mental and emotional mm. thing to go through um did you take advice from other friends and, and family or did you is something you decided on your own no, something I've always made all my decisions just by how I feel. Yeah. I mean, it's useful to get other people's points of view, but in the end, I, I always feel that it's very much me that needs to make that decision. Mm. Um, and my family was hugely supportive. My parents have always been brilliant about supporting my crazy ideas. <laughs> Both of them have had unconventional careers themselves, okay. so that has been, you know, quite helpful for me. They understand. I they do understand. They <laughs> and do. it's in the genes. And it's in the genes. <laughs> And right from, uh, you know, as a young child, my mum always knew that I was going to do things my own way. Mm. Um, You know, so... There's no point fighting it. That's what you want to do. No, exactly. So So, so you've been the acting. So I'd done the acting. And then at that point, I thought, right, what can I do that... I'd started also teaching at uh, stage schools at the weekend. So like stagecoach type Mm. places. Um, I would teach singing, um, sometimes drama. And I also got a part-time job at a, a day centre for adults with learning difficulties, going in and doing workshops there, which was lots of fun. And at the time, I was living in North London, and I saw an advert for um, learning support assistance at the local comprehensive school. And I thought, oh, well, this actually sounds really interesting, because my mum had set up a charity when I was a child for um, as like a babysitting and transport service for families with disabled children. So I'd come across, I'd been in that kind of world quite a bit um, as a child, and I find, um, you know, supporting children with various difficulties in mainstream school I think that's a really interesting and very valuable thing to Mm. be doing so I thought actually this would be I I think this would be something and it was four days a week starting at nine o'clock finishing at quarter past three which meant that I had all this time for writing in between perfect and and back in that time teaching assistants didn't have to do all the prep and all the stuff that they have to do now so it was perfect um, and it was really good for me. I was there for two years and it was um, really interesting and that led on to an interest in teaching. Um, I would sit in um, lessons sometimes that were just amazing and then I would sit in lessons that were not engaging the kids and I would say going, ah, oh, if only the teacher were doing it like this, <laughs> it would be so much more fun. Um, and I decided that I really wanted to teach English because English is such a core subject and it's so important and it's compulsory and a lot of kids 
get really turned off mm. uh, about reading and Shakespeare and oh, it's all so boring. And I was sitting there going, no, but it's really exciting. And and there's nothing that enthuses children more than a teacher that's enthusiastic. If you've got someone, if you've got a teacher who's passionate about the subject, who loves communicating about it, then you're going to carry the, the students with you. And I thought, I want to be... I want to be that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it. And... Lo and behold, on the day that I decided that this would be something I'd be really interested in doing, I looked in the TES at the job section and there was a part-time teaching job at an independent girls' school in Oxford, which is where I grew up and had been thinking about moving back anyway. And, it, you know, I just happened to open and on that particular day and there was the job. Um, Isn't it interesting that all the things you've um, done so far is a lot of it's a lot of people say oh it's people I met or just luck but this is all adverts it's just opening (laughs) opening papers at the right time actually yeah and I assume you got the job I I did get the job yes um they were brilliant actually I I taught at Witchwood School on the Banbury Road um for five and a half years um and they were fantastic with me because of course I didn't have qualified teacher status I didn't have teaching experience. I'd been in classrooms. I'd, I, well, and that's not true. I had teaching experience in terms of uh, the stagecoach type stuff. Mm. You but didn't I have hadn't proper taught. qualification. I didn't, you know, I didn't have curriculum knowledge. So they they said to me, "Okay, right, we're gonna we're gonna take you on, and we'll train you up to fit our school." And I went perfect. So that's what I did, and I really enjoyed it. And whilst I was there, I not only taught English, but I covered. Um, drama lessons and history lessons. <laughs> history was hilarious because I didn't even take GCSE history. <laughs> you just watched they horrible said, histories. <laughs> they, said, they said we're going to give you years seven and eight history. I went, pardon. <laughs> <laughs> but they were some of the most fun lessons because I was coming to it quite fresh and it and I was getting excited about it as well. So I would create, you know, I would do it all through storytelling. You know, we were doing the Black Death. So I'd say, right, okay, we're going to play this game. I've created. I spend so much time making resources. Um, okay, so you've got like you've got five cards each. This represents five days. Okay, everyone turn over the first card, and you know already three people are dead. You know, it says, <laughs> you are dead. Uh, <laughs> and by the end of the five days, you know, um, two thirds of the class are now dead. But they prop back. They would remember. Well, that. I hope so. Yes. yes, I hope so. But but it was uh, yeah, it was lots of fun. And then while I was teaching, I was also still continuing to write on the side. And I had a couple of books published, uh, fairly small. I had a picture book published, and then I decided I wanted to write a couple of teenage novels. Um, and so I I landed an agent at that point as well. Yeah, we have to talk um, about that. But also, you, you would avoid to talk about the fireworks technician. Was that oh, before yes. that? Because okay, I just so want to know about yes, that. Yes, that was while I was still in London. I had a boyfriend at the time who um, ran an events company, and um, they handled fireworks displays. And of course, everyone wants fireworks on fireworks night. And so he would be trying to do several different displays, but you'd have to bring in more people. So I would say, yeah, I'll come and do it. So I, they gave me a boiler suit. It had my name on it. It said Joe. And, uh, and it was a flammable boiler suit, had a hard hat, and they took me through everything. And it was it was so much fun, because as a child, you have to stay away from anything do. dangerous, you know, and don't go back to lit fireworks. Blah, 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 blah. And like, when you're a fireworks technician, you can do all of that. <laughs> all of that. 
But there's only work really on November the 5th. They're really... <laughs> Not a great crew. And, and New Year's. Oh, there's yes, lots of, of New Year's. <laughs> so we did quite a few of those. I didn't do it for very long. And, I, you know, it was very much... I didn't get paid for it. <laughs> it just but, you dropped know, it, it in. It shaped you as the person you are today. It did. Because, uh, it to be did. honest, it's not for somebody who is shy and retiring. No. For, I think I would be too scared to do that. Because, no. I, you know, like you say, you've always been told, yeah. stay away from yeah. fireworks. <laughs> I would be like at the back of the field saying, well, I'll wear the suit, but I'm not going anywhere near, which wouldn't get me the job. So you talked about getting the agent. Like you just said, and I got an agent. Oh, yeah. You know, a lot of people (laughs) will be like, yes, but you've got an agent. This takes years. So you're teaching, you're doing all your bits and bobs. This is why my life is so long to explain, because I've always been doing lots of different things at the same time, you see. Um, I think this is good, though. I think having lots of different fingers and different eyes is good. Yeah, but it's it's mainly just because I get bored easily. I have to have, (laughs) as you can see from my house, there's stuff everywhere. I have to be doing things. There's always things half made. and Busy brain. Yeah, yeah. Um, But very creative, you know. I I mean, I'll put off my accounts for a very long time (laughs) because there'll be a painting I want to do. Um, so yes, I uh, while I was teaching, I was also um, because I'd had a picture book published through a slush pile. Um, I got taken on by a literary consultancy, um, the sort of people who employ authors to critique manuscripts. So when you're an aspiring author and you want to get published and you don't know how or you don't know if your manuscript's good enough, one of the ways you can check it is to send it to um, a consultancy where they will read it and they will say, okay, there's these really good things in it, but you need to be aware that for current publishing requirements, blah, 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 the market, etc., etc." And Um, is that something you have to pay for? Yes. Yeah. Yes, it is. I thought it was like this free service. No. Because that's quite a leap. That's something that you've got to commit to that, haven't you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. you were determined to do it by then. Well, yeah. And I, um, I, they took me on as a freelance, you know, um, consultant, which was great because I would, I t- had, gave me a lot of experience reading and critiquing other people's manuscripts. Uh, and it does help you look at your own work more critically. So I was doing that, and because I was working for this um, consultancy, which is called Cornerstones, which is still going, and they um, they said to me, um, if you want to put forward one of your own manuscripts to look, you know, we pass on manuscripts to agents, we work as scouts, um, and we won't charge you for that because you're working for us. And oh, excellent, okay. And there was a book at the time that I was working on that I really felt um, deserved an agent, deserved a really good publisher uh, called Red Tears about a girl who self-harms. Um, I should explain that back in those days I was writing under Joanna Kenrick, not Joe Cotterill, which is, you know, my maiden name. Mm-hmm. And um, so the agency passed this, the consultancy passed this on to three agents um, and two of them immediately got in touch and said they wanted to meet me and talk about it, which was Brilliant. so exciting. And Did so, you by then have the champagne out? I thought, was like, oh my gosh, this is, oh, this is so exciting. Um, and I was in the amazing position of going to London, going up to London for the day to talk with two agents, one not, after the other. Not going to Topshop to look at the clothes. Well, I do that whenever I go to London, just because I'm there. But but to um, to actually no, wow, two and you can on the play day. them off against each yeah, other. Yeah, well, this is the thing, and um, it was brilliant. And there was one that I definitely clicked with um, more than the other. Um, one that I felt that you know I really could talk to her about anything and um so I signed with her and that was Penny Holroyd who at the time was working with Caroline Sheldon in the literary uh, literary agency she's since set up her own um and she worked really hard to get that first book published um and it was eventually picked up by Faber uh and I had a two book deal 
with them. Actually, no. No, I... Oh, I can't remember now. I did a second book with them. I can't remember whether it was on the same contract. I think it might have been separate. Um, but that was just fantastic and so exciting. Um, and the editor was amazing. And um, it was a really, really exciting time. But you say you get that first one out and you have that high, I've done it. Yeah. Then do you feel maybe an extra pressure because you think, well, I better write another one now? Yes, I did. Um, I also, I suffer from this, you know, as you can tell by my sort of head-hopping butterfly brain. <laughs> I don't like doing the same thing all the time, So, which has been a problem in my publishing career because publishers really like you to be... A thing. A thing, you know. I hate the word brand, but, you know, they like, you know, if they go, oh, it's a Joe Cottrell book then people know what that means. Whereas I've written so many different sorts of books, you can't do that. Um, and that makes me harder to sell. So, um, so yes, I... So I, did you find you have to fight to say, well, actually, I want to do something different? I've had to do it all the way through my career. <laughs> yeah, which is, I think, partly why my agent and I parted ways about 10 years later. Um, because she was setting up on her own and she, um, she didn't want to take me with her. Um, which I, I found really difficult at the time, um, but but now looking back, do you think it was the back, right thing? Yeah, yeah, I think it was actually because in some ways it made me um, more proactive in looking for work, and I've certainly done a lot more educational type projects since then, which I never did with her because mm. those are not very profitable and they're not great for the agency, and you know they're not in bookshops. So, mm. um, but actually, I think I've had more work since I parted ways with her. So in some ways, yeah, I mean, these things, everything works out all right in the end. You know, <laughs> I have to remember that. After the stamping and the grumbling. <laughs> but you say you're not a brand, but you are, I suppose, known for a lot of young, teenage, young adult fiction, aren't you, really? Well, the young adult stuff, not so much these days, because I haven't written, well, so looking at the stars is probably the last one that counts as a teenage book. Mm. Um and that was published in 2014 and is about um, refugees, civil war, uh, family displacement, um, oppression of women. You know, it's all in this. It sounded very heavy. Uh, but basically, it's about a love of stories. And um, the central character is a storyteller. And this is something that, as she's been growing up in a very restrictive um, society, she's not been allowed to express. People don't like it. Don't ask questions. Don't make stuff up keep your head down don't you know stay out of trouble um and then when the war comes and her family will get split up and she and her sister go to a refugee camp she discovers that this ability to tell stories is actually the most valuable thing she has and people come to listen to her and she gives them something that they can't get anywhere else Mm. and that's a kind of escapism a kind of hope um a reminder that you know things things again can work out okay um, so that's probably my latest one for um, teenagers. But since then, I've mostly concentrated on the age 12 mm. age group. And why that age range in particular? Um, partly because the teenage market became harder to sell into. Um, partly because um, publishers started to find that... Um, started to find that a lot of the issues that we thought were aimed at teenagers were actually being read by younger. I mean, this is always, a, you know, you remember Just 17, which was never read by 17-year-olds, it's read by 12-year-olds. So, but I think when you go into, when you go into schools... That's that by Judy Bloom as well. Yeah, that was always, yeah. yeah. 
I know the one you mean. Uh, <laughs> but you go into schools and year six says to you, yeah, we've been reading the Hunger Games. And you go, oh, wow. Um, yeah, you're you know, right. It's that kind so it's of... kind of shifted. It has shifted down mm. a bit. And I, I don't know entirely how I feel about that. But I think um, I, it, it was mainly market driven. I had some ideas and they seemed to fit better into the slightly younger age group. And it's there's a plus to that in that the books are shorter as well. <laughs> But also the issues that you talk about in your books, because now that you've mentioned your background and talking um, that you've worked in schools where children maybe special educational needs, mm-hmm. did that inspire you then to write books? Because, you know, it's quite tough subjects that you've, you've yeah. talked about. There's bereavement, isn't there? Yeah. Um, jelly, which we haven't mentioned. Yes. But that's the girl who... Um, She's overweight. Yeah, she, people have called her fat. Yes. Yeah. And have, yeah. did that all come from the work that you've done in the past? Um, I think we're all shaped by our experiences and what we've done, but I think possibly it's more a reaction to current society. Mm. Um, I tend to look at issues that I see affecting people now and I go, there needs to be a book about this or, or quite often there are books about that thing, but I think there's an idea I've got that could do it differently. I'm not very keen on doing things that have already been done. Um, but if I can find um, a new angle, that's why I challenged myself with Storm of Strawberries as well, which is written from the uh, point of view of the protagonist who has Down syndrome. Mm. Um, and it was when I was thinking there should be more books about disability and we need more disabled protagonists. And why hasn't anyone done a book where the, you know, where the heroine has Down syndrome? Oh, that would be a really good idea. And that's the point at which I go, yes. And then halfway through, I go, why did I decide to do this? It's really hard. <laughs> so, but when you also, yeah. do you actually do a bit of research? Because sometimes you yes. think no one's done it. Yeah. And you're like, oh, somebody has done it. Yes. So you have to check first. I do look around. I do see what there is. Um, but um, I also am quite, I'm fairly... I'd like to say I'm fairly well up on what's being published. I think it's partly because I am genuinely really interested mm. in mm. children's books. Um, I, I read almost exclusively children's books because they're really good, they're really fun, they're well written and they're quite short. I'm reading them to my children. I'm like, this is much better than what other books yeah, I could have been reading. Really good. Exactly. You know, and I look at what's on the adult shelf and I go... <sighs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. And also being, being shorter, you can yeah. sort of yeah keep going and when you're knackered and you've got children yourself you know you don't actually necessarily it's like when you're exhausted in the evening and your choice is um i don't know four weddings and a funeral or schindler's list and you go well (laughs) one of them is really good for me and would teach me and educate me and make me think and no this evening i just want people swearing a lot And a bit of Hugh Grant. Um, a bit of Hugh Grant, you know, <laughs> and floppy hair. That's, That's kind of, a, yeah, it's a really good way of putting that. it. Absolutely, nailed and it. And it's not dumbing down. I don't see it like that at all. I don't see it as less important, less worthy. I think it's just that, you know, as people we have different needs and where books are concerned, you know, sometimes you just want something that's going to be um, nourishing in the imaginative way Mm, mm, you know mm. not necessarily make you feel like you've you know had to change things about yourself and you know which are also valid but anyway uh, children's books have a lighter touch i think they cover those issues but they don't hit you over the head with them Mm, mm. um and i think that's that's partly why i like 
that kind of that area that category and, and and also we mentioned jelly but that was actually came back because of a chance conversation with a with another that's parent. right so jelly was not meant to be written at all jelly was supposed to be an entirely different book because i had a contract with piccadilly press um for a second book uh after um storm of strawberries and um i pitched them a book which i really really wanted to write about a young activist she was going to be really bright i wanted to do a really high iq kid um, because again i think that's an area that still isn't quite being covered in a lot of children's fiction the really smart ones the ones who aren't necessarily really good at school but are just mm. really bright you mm. know sparky kids <laughs> and um sometimes quite difficult kids <laughs> They, they tend to be. Because I like they don't sparky. Fit. Yeah, sparky, yeah. sparky and feisty. Well, I don't like the word feisty. It's always work. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I was writing about this, this girl who was living in a family where one parent was from a different country. And during the book, towards the, the inciting incident at the beginning of the book was going to be a letter from the Home Office saying, your parent um, may have to leave, basically, because um, rules are changing and we're not sure that we want everybody in this country anymore. And the child was going to be so absolutely horrified by this that she would start a petition at school, you know, she'd start talking, saying, this is ridiculous, my mum might have to leave the country and she's lived here for all this life and, and she's my mum. And so she was going to get everyone to sign it and then local news would have got hold of that and done a little piece on her and then it spreads and spreads and snowballs and before you know it, she's become the poster girl for, uh, you know, the country, for people whose families are threatened um, by immigration policy and mm. things like that. And I really wanted to write that book, really. And the publisher just felt it just wasn't right. They said the heroine feels a bit too unrelatable. <laughs> and oh, but when it's you just be so tough when you like something too political, and you know, because when I pitched them this book, when I pitched this book, it was um, beginning of. 2017 and they said you know this feels too like because the book won't come out for another year they went and everything could have changed by then she said okay it feels too british it feels too brexit based um and of course here we are in 2019 and it's it's still going going on on. um and so i i i tried rewriting it they tried to make it work and they said we just can't and i had to shelve all the work i'd done on it and they said, look, we, you're just going to have to do something different. And I was like, oh, I didn't want to write anything different. And I was like, but, you know, that's what publishing is like. As a writer, you have to accept that sometimes what you want to do is just not what they want to publish. So I thought, right, OK. Um, that must be really hard, though, when you yes. put your heart and soul into something. And at times like that, do you sometimes think, you know what, I'm going back to being a fireworks technician. <laughs> No, yeah, not, there is, not. there is, you know, there is this joke amongst writers about, you know, go stack shelves in Tesco, it'd be easier. Mm. It would, mm. and it'd probably pay about the same as well. <laughs> um, but but you, know, you love doing it, and but, you've yeah, got, just got to come up with a yeah, new idea. You do, and that's that, that's what, you know, I've been in this business long enough to know that that's just, just how it is. So after a lot of stamping and grumbling, um, <laughs> which is very important, and chocolate, uh, that's very important as well. Um, I started thinking, right, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I knew that they wanted a kind of issue-type book because although I don't really like that label, it is what it is. Uh, and Library of Lemons and Storm of Strawberries, they fitted um, together, together and they said to me, we want another one with that kind of warmth that you get. Um, and so, I, yeah, I was talking to um, uh, a 
mum on the way to school one day and she was saying uh, oh, I wish there was a book I could give to my daughter about you know being okay with your body mm-hmm. um, because her daughter is is not skinny um, she's she's very fit she does a lot of sports mm. but she's just bigger mm. um, and this mum was saying you know she's noticing it so much more now and I wish I could say to her it's okay mm. And I thought, maybe that's it. Maybe that's the story. Because I'm really keen on writing stories that make people feel it's okay to be them. Mm. You know, if you want to change things about yourself, that's fine. But it shouldn't be... You shouldn't feel that's something you have to do in order to fit in, to Mm. be acceptable, to be Mm. a worthy person. So so I started... So that's when I created Jelly. Um, And actually... What I quite like doing in my books is breaking up the text with different things. So um, in um, Electro Girl, for example, which is my superhero series with OUP, uh, I, I've worked with an illustrator on that, Kathy Brett, and we, um, we put illustration sections in where it goes into comic strip. So the, it's flipping between prose and comic strip all the time. And with Jelly, I wanted to break it up with poems because when she's you know being fat shamed at school which is basically Mm. what it is Mm. but it's something that she's become used to accepting and it's something that she now perpetuates herself Mm. because i think a lot of larger people do do that Mm. you know they own it you Mm. know they're Mm. like i'm gonna laugh at myself because everyone else is laughing at me but that can be quite damaging as well because if you're not actually comfortable with laughing at yourself in those ways, mm. because you know, it's so what Jelly does is she laughs at herself in public and then at home she actually writes down what she really feels. And so that, and that all came out in poetry. And I'm not a big poet really. I don't read poetry, I don't really write poetry. Um, but I had so much fun doing it because poetry is so much easier to write if you're pretending to be a 12 year old girl you know yeah. it's it's because then you don't have all this oh i'm worried about the form and this line doesn't scan properly iambic pentameter i, I know it's like <laughs> there's a sign of all this extra literature weight on you when you're an adult about trying to make it profound and, and actually she's 11 not 12 but you know it just be just writing it as an 11 year old would write it you can get to a lot more kind of truth you can cut through a lot of the, oh, well, but what about this image and this metaphor? I mean, you know, she does use those, but not not in a kind of deliberately literary way. Mm. Um, and so I really enjoyed working on that book. And I was also really keen to get a very positive adult male role model in there. Um, because so often in children's books, the dads are either not there or... Um, not ne- necessarily sensitive mm. or not necessarily emotional mm. um, and the mum is the one who tends to have the talks with the children about how they're feeling and things like that um, so again you like doing things differently I do yeah. yeah and I want to be able to show the boys who read it as well that it's okay to be a grown up man who still talks about his feelings because mm. I think again there's a children's books can give children so much um, in terms of identity and encouragement to accept parts of yourselves that society is perhaps saying you shouldn't have this Mm, mm. Um, and of course that's why we've got so many problems with men's mental health and you know but if boys could grow up seeing that it's you know that that men can be sensitive and emotional and expressive you know then that's that's a good thing do you know if the girl whose mother came up to you to talk about that read the book i 
think she did, yes. Yeah. And do you find that your own children, now they're getting older, say, oh, Mum, can you write a book about this? No. No. (laughs) (laughs) They don't give you feedback. No, not yet. My, um, my... it's interesting because my my children's route into books has been very different from mine own. Um, mine own, <laughs> Shakespearean. Then I like it. Um, mine own. Um, my ten year old um, hated phonics at school. Um, Sounds familiar in our wouldn't, house. Wouldn't read the books they brought home. Biff and Chip. Oh, <laughs> flipping dog and its magic key. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think phonics doesn't work for some people. It doesn't. And my, my seven-year-old, it's worked for great. Mm. Um, but the ten-year-old was really quite late to reading, which I found so difficult because I was three, you know, when <laughs> I started I'm reading. a writer. You've <laughs> got to read. <laughs> right. Our house is full of books. There's books everywhere. Um, and she just, she just, she didn't actually voluntarily read until she was about six and a half. Um, and then she suddenly sort of took off and, and but even now she's got a wide range of books on her shelves and she tends to stick to funny, light non-challenging not Joe Cotterell books not Joe Cotterell <laughs> <laughs> her class did Library of Lemons at school oh did, and did they realise yeah 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 they okay. knew it was mine and I went in to talk to them about it when they started it and she really enjoyed the beginning part but because of the way it was taught in school which was like <laughs> we're going to do this week we're going to do these this chapter Ugh. And it just, it slowed everything down by half term. They still hadn't finished it. Oh, oh, no, that's quite frustrating. Or maybe she just didn't like her mother's writing. Well, there is that. I actually (laughs) said to her, look, if I give you 20p, will you finish the book? (laughs) (laughs) So I actually had to pay my own daughter to finish reading my book. (laughs) But I think it was because... She'd started off fine, and then everything had slowed down so much, she'd lost interest. And I don't blame her for that, you know. And Library of Lemons is not exactly action-packed, you know. It's not, like, near-death situations and, like, people setting off on adventures. It's made, it's just a family story. I'm sorry, so but 20p, just, that's not much. Know, did she do much. it? She did do it, yeah. <laughs> I think you've done well. I did. My daughters would say, I'm doing it for £5. <laughs> <laughs> I suspect now that she's 10... Uh, it might it might go up be higher. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and do you find because I've seen you on Twitter that you get a lot of inspiration from other writers and there's a great writing community I know oh, you've, there's you've, so much support yeah. everybody's so lovely they really are and as a new writer starting out you know people are just so keen to help and to you know if you're willing to listen and take in the advice I sometimes feel that perhaps there's a bit too much out there now because as a new writer you don't really want to be deluged with what the market needs actually uh, when you're starting out you just need to find what it is you want to say mm-hmm. um, so I, I, I think it's possibly a little bit too much but um, certain people but, have they been really I, I think I read somewhere that Kathy Cassidy's really helped you she's lovely she's she did a quote for one of my books um, she's oh she's such a lovely warm person but there's a I, I belong to a group of writers called the Scattered Authors Society it's because we're, we're all over some people sometimes say oh is it scatty <laughs> it's like well no but we are that as well um, because it's all over the country um, and it's a very informal group of published traditionally published children's writers and we meet and have retreats and we run sessions for each other on different types of writing um, and it's enormously supportive mm. uh, and it's it's great they feel like my 
people. You know, it's so important mm. to find your tribe. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> the people who who love what you love and who you know are passionate about the same things. And but also because it's quite a, a lonely business yes. writing. So you yes. do sometimes after a long hard slog, yeah. thinking of ideas. It's quite nice to get on your phone and yeah. think, oh, somebody else is in the yeah. same situation. And actually, social media for me has been brilliant for that um, because when I started out, that didn't exist, and you re- literally were just you didn't know anybody. Mm. The only time you had to meet anyone was if you were invited to a publisher party and then of course you all stand around horribly awkwardly because most writers are introverts yeah and we'd all be standing there going i don't actually want to talk to anybody but i know i ought to and oh my gosh there's jacqueline wilson over there and i can't possibly talk to her <laughs> you know i read you know. somewhere that someone i've done this you go in the room you see all these people you don't know anybody yeah. you go and you almost pretend that you're looking for something mm-hmm. and you, you look around I'm looking, I can't find my drink, and, and you leave. And you don't speak. Yes. It's awful. So at least yes. when you're at home, you, you're a bit braver to yeah. go on that. Yes. It's really helpful, I think. Yes, yes it is. Um, and, and yeah, there's there's so much support, I think, for writers. But um, do you think of all the, the stuff that you've done? I'm, I'm interested in all... I mean, we haven't talked about all the books, because there's too many. There's too many. Um, is there one in particular that you're the most proud of? Yeah, I'm really proud of looking at the stars because it took eight years to get published. This is the refugee. This is the refugee story. Um, And I initially wrote it um, back when we were um, about to invade Iraq. Um, And there were lots of people coming in from Afghanistan. um, And there were a lot of things on the news and I wrote it then and I wrote it a bit too quickly really um, and the first half was great and my agent said the first half is amazing the second half just doesn't really work and I was like damn you've noticed because <laughs> one of the things writers <laughs> do is sort of vaguely hope that the bits that they know are a bit rubbish you just get no through, well slip through the net <laughs> <laughs> and of course it's that's that's the agents and editors job to notice mm that that's not working and to make you do it better which is you know very good and And frustrating and frustrating but um so my agent said no this doesn't work um and so I put it aside because then I had a baby which is very inconvenient (laughs) and and then I also had an idea for a series which is which was actually my big break if you like um that was the series that allowed me to give up teaching and that was Sweethearts with Random House, mm. which was my, which was still the biggest contract I've ever had. And it was for six books. And it was astonishing. Um, and it was a sort of series for kind of that tween age, sort of 10 to 13. I can picture the covers. It had yeah, hearts on. that's yeah. right. Lots of hearts. Yeah. It was very girly. I wouldn't pitch it that way these days because things have moved on, especially in terms of gender stereotypes sure. and everything. But it was very much a series um, about girls um sort of falling in love for the first time very squeaky clean you know it's that which i still vividly remember from the age of 11 and 12 um it's falling in love with that boy that you can't actually speak to you know (laughs) but imagining but imagining oh my gosh and because of course i was so dramatic i was imagining he and i would take the lead in romeo and juliet and stuff like that um (laughs) it would be like a Meghan and harry star wedding that's right yeah 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 yeah. i think we've all been there yes so it was really really popular and i imagine that when you got that contract you were dancing on the ceiling i was i couldn't believe it it was amazing you know because um my agent set up this meeting we we had there was one point where we had four publishers interested and she said i think this might go to auction i just went what (laughs) 
Because that's the sort of thing that doesn't, you know, it's like really exciting when things go to auction. And then you start thinking money because there's actual money yes. involved um, in those kind of things. Anyway, it didn't go to auction in the end because the it, other three publishers dropped out. But it enabled but, you to give up your job. But it enabled, yes, it was enough for me to um, give up my job and um, and to be able to write full time because they wanted two books a year. And, and it was really quite grueling in that sense, mm. you know. It was, and, and I also hadn't really anticipated when you're working on a series like that you're working on three books at the same time because they're all in different stages so you're plotting book three whilst you are editing book two and promoting book one so your mind yeah and people start asking you about characters and you go i don't i don't know i don't know who they are (laughs) (laughs) and you're like but this book is only just out i'm like yes but but it's a long time since i've read it (laughs) and when it's interesting though because you've done so many very, I mean, that's quite a traditional style of book, isn't it? Yeah. And then the, the stuff you've done later is a lot more, you know, issues that we said were more difficult. So yeah. Did, when, Although having said that, you know, those books were issues books as well mm. because um, the girls in them suffered from all kinds of different social problems. Um, in the first book, uh, the girl is terminally shy. Um, and she is desperately in love with this boy that she can't actually manage to speak to. Um, um, and this boy is, is also being eyed up by someone who's a lot bolder and braver <laughs> and more confident. Always it's, the way. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and in one of the other books, um, one of them has suffered a bereavement. Her mum has died and she finds quite a lot of solace in working uh, with plants. In a garden. When I said, the publisher said, what do you want to do next? I said, I want to do one set in a garden centre. And they went, what? <laughs> kids working outside or doing things with nature I said and I think it's lovely and they went mm. <laughs> and then there's one with a girl who's terribly up herself um terribly head in the clouds wants to be famous not really quite sure what for wants to be a model um loves you know concentrating on her nails and her hair and whole families like that they live they're very rich and they live in a very expensive house with a swimming pool in the basement and she mucks up her work experience application and is forced to go and work in an animal sanctuary clearing out cat poo and stuff um so it's a a clash of cultures so even though those books were sort of more commercial if you like they were still set in with real families with real problems and real things that you have to come up against i mean they were very middle class you know because that was my background and and so and i am still you know because we'll never break out of our classes really but um but I, that, that, so that series meant that I had to put aside looking at the stars because even though I wanted to rewrite it, that book was never going to be mm. like a massive commercial success as far as I was concerned. So that's why that book didn't come out until 2014. Um, but that is still the one I'm most proud of because it was the first book that I wrote where um, I suddenly realised when I'd written it that I'd said something about me in the book. Um, which was which was my belief in humanity and the importance of imagination because without imagination you don't have compassion because in order to feel compassion you have to be able to imagine what the other person's feeling you don't have ambition because you can't imagine achieving things Um, you don't have a drive to improve things you don't without imagination you don't have anything as far as I'm concerned and I'd felt, you know, especially in schools and in the education system, imagination is not valued at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the wider society, the arts is seen as something very much second rate, not important. Um, and, you know, the government is constantly, you know, 
right, well, let's not even go there. Um, <laughs> so but, you felt quite liberated by getting a bit of your yeah, self I in did. there. Yeah, I did. I did. Mm. I, I felt, my gosh, I've actually written something that is very personal to me. Um, and the central character in it is very, very like me. Um, you know, it says, but why do things have to be like this? <laughs> just, everyone turns around and says, shush. <laughs> uh, but it's lovely that you can express yourself in that way. Yeah. And, and other people who, who you know, have the same ideas can get so much out of it, yes. I'm sure. And I'm sure yeah. when you go around all the schools and people talk to you about the books, that that must be so satisfying. I love it. I love meeting readers and kids are so brilliant and they're so honest as well. I almost love the ones who tell me they hate the books <laughs> more than the ones who love it because it's so refreshing. Adults, are terrible at that because they say oh yeah they, they say oh I loved I loved your book it's brilliant even if they really thought it was yeah. okay um but kids I, <laughs> was a, I was at a um a book awards one year that I'd won with looking at the stars which was a complete surprise I didn't know I'd won it until I got there and there was a signing table afterwards and it was voted for by the kids and this strapping lad came up to me he must have been 13 really tall and he shoved looking at the stars at me and went I voted for you and I went, oh, thank you, that's really lovely. He said, yeah, yours was the only one on the shortlist I read. Right, okay, well, I'm really glad you liked it enough to vote for it anyway, even though you didn't have anything to compare it to. And he said, yeah, well, see, the thing is, he said, when the books of books came to school, he said, everyone took, you know where this is going, don't you? everyone took the ones they wanted, and yours was the only one left in the bottom of the box. <laughs> so that's the one I got. <laughs> Well, that, you should have that quote on the front of the book. It was the only one left in the box, so I had to read it. And I loved that he felt he could just come and tell me that. And he was like, yours was the least popular one at school, so that's why I had to read it. But I liked it so much, I thought it should win. That's just, I love that. That's brilliant. You don't get that anyway. Don't get that in adults. Don't get that in Costa. You don't get that in Costa. But are awards important for somebody who's trying to break through and, through and be known? Um, or can you get away with not doing it? There's there's a sort of unspoken knowledge amongst children's authors um, and probably amongst adult authors that there's a kind of divide between the books that sell really well and the books that win awards. Sometimes they do both, but it's not very usual. Um I think both is really important to an author. If your books sell really well, you can have enough money to pay your bills and to keep doing your job. Mm. So that is important. <laughs> um, awards, though, make you feel like you have managed to do something special. Mm. And that is that is lovely. My goodness. winning award, No, winning awards is just wonderful. If you can win an award that's been voted for by children... And they all come up to you and they tell you they voted for you because they loved your book the best. Oh my gosh, that's nothing beats that. Really, no, really. And and just and getting emails from parents saying, you know, before your book or before your school visit, my child wouldn't pick up a book, and now they've read all of yours and they're working their way through the school library. And you go, that's that's amazing. Mm-hmm. To to be because it makes you important, mm-hmm. and everybody needs to be important. And everyone needs to mean something. Well, it's validation, isn't it? It is from sitting. I don't know where you write. Do you write upstairs? Oh, I have a study in there. Okay, so you're in your on your, in your study on your own, and you're, you're wondering whether this is working. Yeah. But getting an award or even an email is just the yeah. icing on the cake. It is, it? and it it makes it worth it. And mm. it and it, like you say, it's validation that these ideas that you've been dreaming up in your head, these characters that you've just created this story because so much of story is about making decisions and are you making the right decision 
um, should this character do this or this? Should this character have this kind of family or this kind of family? Who are their friends? Where do their friends come from? What languages do people speak? What kind of abilities do all these people have? There's incredible number of decisions that you have to make when writing a story. Um, and when people say to me, where do you get your ideas from? I'm like, that is the easy bit. <laughs> I could, I mean, ideas are so easy. What's hard about writing the book is making all these thousands of decisions. And that's why it's so exhausting, of yes. course. You know, anyone who writes knows that after a really good writing session, you are knackered. Mm -hmm. Or even after a really short writing session, you can be exhausted. You can spend two hours rewriting the same three paragraphs um, because it's not flowing quite right. Or this, And you know that if you make a decision here that's going to affect something later on, you know, it's like playing a it's like playing twenty games of chess in your head at the same time, um, with with all these possible outcomes. You know, that's just mind boggling. <laughs> just, I'm, I've just thought just sitting down with a pen and getting on with it. No, chance. Oh, no. <laughs> only, if only. <laughs> so, if we were to look back at yes. those sort of pivotal moments yep. in your career, um, you mentioned those that early deal that you had yes. with getting all those. The six book deal. Six book yeah. deal. And they don't hand those out. Anymore. They don't. I think, I think the fireworks technician has got a lot to to help along the way because it's it obviously gave you the, the balls to carry on with this. Yeah. I don't know. What 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 were the pivotal moments for you? Do you think? Um, I think the first um, pivotal moment was um, was signing up for that writing course in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't know it at the time. You know, and I didn't know I was going to get so hooked on it. Um, I think um, the Random House Sweethearts contract was the the biggest thing really that's happened in my writing career, mm. uh, and and so that made a big difference. But also the bad stuff, like the playing in a was it a horse? <laughs> what did you call it? A pony training ring. A pony training ring with we somebody watching the football. School. Yeah, but that <laughs> when you realise actually this isn't working for me. Yeah. Sometimes having something not so good then yeah. forces you to open the paper and see some adverts and get into the teaching which which it led it does to all the writing but you know what i've been incredibly lucky that that i was born into a family that had enough money to support my weird ideas <laughs> you know um i was very lucky in my schooling um and when i said to my parents i want to go to acting <laughs> they went okay um do you think if you hadn't had that uh, support and that's almost financial backing yes. that you might have done something completely different. Yes, I do. Yes, yeah. I was very lucky, but I, and especially for the first year after uni, when actually I developed chronic fatigue, um, and I had that for about a year, and my parents continued to support me financially mm. for that further year after uni, which just gave me time to recover, to find out things that I could maybe do for myself. I, I've been really lucky like that. I mean, which, so... I, which is why you're so passionate about keeping the arts going in schools for people who maybe haven't got that support. Yes, just to get yes, a, yes. A, a, yes. Funding! <laughs> you can't see that I've just reached my hand yes. up to the ceiling. Fund everything. And those kind There's of There's a lot of gesticulation going on here. <laughs> I have soapboxes about arts, about education, about libraries access to um, lots of different kinds of expressive arts they make such a difference to people really but don't but, you think it's fabulous that by writing books that you write you are 
giving people a key into something that yes. they wouldn't potentially be interested I do, in. Yes, and I do think that's great. And actually, in terms of gender and stereotyping things, I've, I've been really encouraged by the fact that I've had a lot of boys come up to me saying how much they've enjoyed my books. Especially books like Library of Lemons, which are not typically... They wouldn't typically appeal to boys because the cover is not particularly, you know, um, boy-appealing. Um, but they... Kids, I think, I think adults put this on kids a lot of the time when the kids don't themselves see it. In primary school, a lot of boys will simply read whatever they like the look of or whatever sounds cool. Mm, mm. Um, and it doesn't matter if it's about girls or it's about families or, or anything. Um, and I, I think a lot of adults say to me, yes, but do you write for boys? And I wonder what, yes, I do. <laughs> because they are still children. Um, and I write for children. And therefore, they still come under the category. I did have a big argument with um, OUP about the front cover of Electra Girl, actually, which they wanted to do pink. Um, and I was really furious. Uh, they'll probably remember the nine bullet point email I sent in response to this suggestion that it should be pink. What colour did you want it to be? I, anything but pink. <laughs> Literally anything. They had sent me a blue one and a pink one, how imaginative. Hmm. And I said, the blue one looks nice. And they said, oh, we think the pink one would sell really well. And I'm like, look, if you put a pink cover on this book and I go into primary schools, the boys are already conditioned hmm. that pink is a girl's colour. Everybody's conditioned. I said, lots of the girls won't pick it up either because it's pink, because they're like, I don't like pink anymore. Sure. It's such a, uh, an emotive colour. Mm-hmm. I said, you just can't do it. I said, you're cutting out half of my buying audience. It doesn't matter how exciting I make it sound and how brilliant it is and how amazing the illustrations are on the inside. If the, the boys won't touch it because it's pink, then what's the point? So anyway, it's uh, it's yellow. <laughs> <laughs> but those kind of, those have also been pivotal moments actually in my career. Standing um, up for what you believe Standing in. up, yeah. Yeah, mm. standing up and, and saying this is important. Yeah. And, and I, it's important to me and I think it should be important to you as well. <laughs> Generally, I think talking to you, you normally would win an argument, I think. I think it depends on the argument. Mm-hmm. I sometimes, um, when if I, I try not to get into arguments on the whole, because I find them really tiring. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't, I don't like people who argue in a very hard way. Um, it makes me feel very emotional and sort of battered. Um, and also sometimes I feel I don't think quickly enough. It's, it's that thing where you come away afterwards and you go, oh, I should have said. Yes, yes. Uh, and I, so yes, I, uh, do I win arguments? I don't know, I just try and avoid the argument to start with. <laughs> Fair enough. So listen, what is coming up for you? You said you were having a breather. You're going to be on the sofa today. Yes, um, that's right. going to watch box set after box set. Do four weddings and a funeral as well. That would be yeah, good. Yeah. Um, so you've got, I mean, I noticed on Twitter that you've got very excited about that you're doing something for Doctor Who. I am. And I think by the time this podcast goes out, it will be okay to say that. Um, there is a book coming out at the end of the year called Star Tales, which is an anthology. And it will contain six stories about uh, the 13th Doctor meeting people from history. And I have written one of the stories to go in there. And it was so much fun. It was really hard, actually, to do the first draft. Well, because it's a character we all know, isn't yes, it? Yes, I know. And I, I had this awful kind of imposter syndrome, <laughs> which I think most people do about most things. 
about, you know, I don't, I don't know how to write like Doctor Who books. You know, I don't, <laughs> I'm not sure I have quite the erudite sort of background necessary and I'm not sure my vocabulary is quite literary enough. And so I wrote this first draft that was, it was all right, but it wasn't great. And the editor wrote back and he was really kind and he was like, but why are you trying to write like somebody else? He's like, I asked you to write this so that you could write it in your own voice. So I went, oh. Uh, that's what you want. <laughs> And did that make it easier? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Second time round, I felt a lot more comfortable in... Because you're taking other people's characters. And also, one of the major problems with, with the 13th Doctor is that she's got three companions, which is way too many. And you constantly go, how do I give all of these people something to do in mm. this story when you've got to include the historical figures as well? So that was quite tricky. But um, I enjoyed writing it also because it was completely outside my genre. Um, and completely outside the sort of thing I normally write um, and it's re- it's really creepy in places and I don't write horror but this is, this is quite horrifying this could places. be the beginning of something new <laughs> I'm always kind of I'm a very big believer in if you want to have a go at something you should just try it mm. um, and it might not work but if you don't try then you won't know and I've been lucky in the background that I've had that I've been able to do that you know I've been able to just go well actually I just want to try doing this now and people have gone okay, <laughs> which is why I'm now on my third career. You know? <laughs> but that's that's probably advice that you would give to anybody wanting to get into writing. Maybe if they've got a normal nine to five and they're thinking of doing it, yes. just give it a go. Just do it. You know, I can't. I I really get very frustrated with people saying, "Oh, I've got this story in my head. I've been thinking about it for the last five years." I'm like, "Really? Why haven't you written it yet?" They're like, "Oh, but it's really epic and complicated, and I'm wondering whether I should interest a publisher." But no, write the book. <laughs> You have nothing until it's written. You have nothing. And even then, this may not be the book that gets you published, you know, because for most of us, we've got a lot of books that didn't get published. And I hate it when people say, oh, maybe now you're published, you could dig out some of those. Oh, no, because there's a reason why they weren't published. They're locked in that drawer. (laughs) They are terrible. (laughs) But you've got to keep them, haven't you? You couldn't throw them away. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, they're all available digitally somewhere. Somewhere. (laughs) So Doctor Who, yes, very exciting. At end of the year, yes. Um, any other th- any other plans? Um, or are they in your head? <laughs> Two of them are definitely in my head, and I should really just get on and write them. But I felt a bit burned out recently. Um, you know, there's been a lot of books coming out, um, and my marriage ended a couple of years back as well, which is sort of quite draining. Mm. So creatively, I felt a bit knackered. Um, and so this year I've sort of promised myself that I wouldn't try and generate something new, mm. which has been really nice. Um, I've been I've been writing some short books for reading schemes for educational publishers, and this Doctor Who thing came along. Um, but apart from that, I fall in love with doing acrylic painting. <laughs> <laughs> because why not? <laughs> but I'm sure after a while of period of kind of acrylic painting, yes, the those ideas, oh, the they've got to come out. You know, there's still something in my head. I would really like to do a screenplay of Library of Lemons because I think it would work really well as a film. Yes. I don't know how to write a film, but that's never stopped me trying no. anything in the past. Give it a go. So, yeah, exactly. I it's was the, thinking, I was just about to say, have you ever thought about writing for film? But with your actor background yeah, as well. Yeah, I have written for theatre in that I've written for school productions um, and I've really enjoyed doing that because I'm not actually a natural descriptor. I don't, I'm not very good at description in mm. books. I can do it, but it's a lot of hard work. I much prefer dialogue. In fact, my favourite type of scene to write is people sitting around talking. <laughs> which is, which is which what is, you do well. Which is, 
because <laughs> I like sitting around talking. Um, but I think people reveal a lot about themselves through what they say and how they say it. And I really love it when people are trying to hide things and they're still talking and you can just, there's little things you can seed into the dialogue. Or, love that, um, the sort of personality and character and stuff. That's what interests me most, which is why I have real trouble with plotting <laughs> because it's not, it's not what comes naturally at all. <laughs> Um, but uh, yeah, so I'd love to do a screenplay. I've got, strangely enough, I've got an adult novel in my head, um, which is something that until a year ago I was not interested in doing mm. at all. Mm. But um, who, who knows? knows? Yeah. Who knows? Because, you know, I've had loads of ideas over the years that I thought were going to come to something and then haven't. So ugh. just try it. Just go yeah. for it. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, listen, I'm going to let you get on that sofa. Yes. Watch, watch Midsummer Murders. Midsummer Murders. Get it right this time, or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> Joe, thank you so much for talking to me, and good luck thank with you. everything. Thank you very much. Thanks to Joe for being a great guest, and thanks to you for listening. Thank you to Megan as well, who produced the podcast this week. She is in love with her new puppy, although he is destroying her house. Uh, don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter at Where Go Right. We're on Podbean, we're on Spotify, and we're on iTunes. Go on, rate us, and you can catch up on past episodes with comedians, broadcasters, musicians, all sorts. They're all there waiting for you. And we'll see you next week.